Luke chapter 6 is my uh, passage for today as we're looking at the Word of God together, seeing Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And uh, this, you know, I love it when we read through the Bible and various parts of the Bible are written a couple of thousand years ago, some are written 3,000 years ago. There's kind of just this huge range of biblical books and authors and time and yet there's such a relevance for today. As we read the Scripture together, we discover that Stories about an axe falling into a river become relevant to us today when you think, how, how is that relevant to anything? And suddenly, as you hear it unpacked, you think, wow, there's a truth in there for me. And some of you already grabbed hold of that truth today. Um, but there's, another tr- there's some more truths to come from Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And uh, there's some familiar verses here for some. Uh, you may have been very familiar with this, this kind of... Uh, aspect of Jesus' ministry, but I want to read it and share some thoughts to you on discipleship today, a new perspective on discipleship. And we're reading together, the words will be on the screen this time, and we're going to read these verses and then dive in. So we read as follows, one of these days, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was a zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, here we go, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now I'm going to be honest with you. This This passage opens with a challenge. And so my message opens with a challenge. I'm going to be really honest with you about that. Because we're going to look first at who are Jesus' disciples. And there's a few groups of people here that we can look at to help us understand what it means to be a disciple and and how we can put that into practice today. The story opens with Jesus choosing 12. It says he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Ordinary guys doing extraordinary things. And we've heard of this call. We've heard of the individuals being chosen by Jesus. We're familiar with some of these things. I'm sure you will be. Um, And we could look into their personal background, but I'm not going to do that today. We haven't got time for that today. But I want to just notice that they're chosen on purpose. It's not an accident that they've been chosen. It's not, uh, Jesus didn't just sort of randomly pick some guys, but he spent time in prayer, he invested, and then he chose some people that he was going to be appointing as apostles, appointing them on purpose. But they're not alone. And the verses on the screen you've got behind us show us that they're not alone. Jesus 
called to himself his disciples, and then he chose 12 of them. That in itself shows us that Jesus had more than 12 disciples. He appointed 12 of his disciples to be apostles, but there's a bigger crowd. And it goes on in verse 17 and 18. It says, a large crowd of his disciples was there. And then it goes on to, and a great number of people. But I want to start with that. A large crowd of his disciples were there. And I think this little verse shows that there's three types of people in addition to the 12 who are around Jesus at this time. And we can choose which one of those we are. Firstly, we've got the followers of Jesus. And they're in the first part of this verse, a large crowd of his disciples. Disciple means follower. It's someone who's attached themselves to somebody else and they're learning, they're being schooled in their ways, becoming like them. So we've got the followers of Jesus. They're not half followers. They're not lesser than the 12. They're different to them. But they're following Jesus in a similar way. In fact, Jesus is going to preach a sermon in just a minute, which we'll get to. And he's preaching it not just to his 12, but to all of these people who are his disciples. Every single one of them is included in this. The same challenges, similar call, and the same radical steps. He's going to talk about the same persecution. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because we can read through the Bible and read of extraordinary things happening. And we can forget that they're happening through ordinary people. And we elevate the people and forget that God can use us. Because we recognize that we're not like the disciples. Why? Because we're not 2,000 years ago. We're not stood by a lake. We're not fishermen. We're not tax collectors. We're not all of those things. We're distant and removed from them. And we can easily go, well, I'm, yeah, I'm somehow lesser. God's got a lesser plan for me than he had for them. And I want to just emphasize that there's a bigger crowd of people who are also called to follow Jesus, who are also with Jesus, who are also preached to and encouraged by Jesus on this occasion. We would have been amongst that number, I trust, of those following Jesus. He sent out 12. He sent out 72 at different points in his ministry. There's a bigger crowd than just the 12. Secondly, the second group is those who've, uh, the great number of people who've come from Judea, Jerusalem, and all the coastal region around Tyreside, and who've come to hear Jesus. We've got a crowd of people who've come to listen. So some are there because they're following, some are there because they've come to listen. Jesus is the best teacher that there's ever been. People have said more things than Jesus did, but nothing more profound. People have appeared cleverer. People have made more scientific discoveries, but nobody's got to the depth of the human condition and brought God in with revelation and wisdom in in the way that Jesus did, the greatest teacher of all. I'm told that he only answered three questions in his ministry. Most of them he turned back with another question. He, He told stories that were pithy and simple. When he's talking about judging one another and and pointing out fault, he he, uh, he talks about a speck and a plank. He's using day-to-day illustrations that people can relate to, day-to-day practices that people can engage in. And and actually, when he's doing all this, he's he's proving and demonstrating the simplicity and the profound nature of the gospel. It's amazing. Jesus is an amazing teacher. And in these days when there's no TV or electricity, 
people's main source of information is disseminated through word of mouth. People, some could write, and so they could sit and read, but primarily there'd be some folk who were reading and, and writing and, other, and then di- kind of directing folk from what they'd read. They'd pass on their, their wisdom and their conclusions. And so people were coming to hear this electrifying speaker, this great speaker. They were coming to hear Jesus and to listen to what he had to say. And so these people who had come to hear him had to travel. They had to be close enough to listen because they didn't want to miss anything. They looked like they were amongst the disciples because after all, the disciples were sitting listening too. But there's a subtle and important difference. The disciples were sitting listening and then following Jesus. The listeners were sitting listening and listening and not necessarily following what Jesus was saying. They weren't necessarily putting it into practice. They could quote the messages. I reckon you could get a group of these, these listeners together and you, they could debate what Jesus had talked about and they could share the stories and they could go to their friends and say, hey, I heard this bloke talking the other day and Jesus was saying this. It was amazing. They could tell you what they'd heard, but they weren't necessarily putting it into practice. And one of the challenges for listeners is that it's perfectly possible to listen whilst you like what's being said. And then when you don't like what's being said, you stop listening. And Jesus had this all through his ministry. When up to a certain point, people were with him, and then he started talking about being the bread of life. And people were offended, and they left in droves. Because we're usually okay until we get to a point where Jesus says something challenging or controversial, or it's different to what we wanted him to say, or it strikes at our heart, and then we go, well, I need to reinterpret that somehow, because it doesn't quite fit with what I believe. And there's a difference between being a follower and being a listener. Third group of people are receivers. And they've come to be healed of their diseases. Now, some of the listeners are also there to be healed, but not all of them. And there's some who've come to hear and some who've come to be healed. Jesus loved to heal. He loved to heal people. But the sad thing is that many were healed, but didn't ultimately come to find full freedom in Christ. They never received more than their physical healing. It's important, but it was never Jesus' goal just to heal the body. He came to bring the kingdom of God in its wholeness. He came to bring the whole package. Physical healing, yes, but relationship with God more fundamentally. Putting people right with God. He came to declare truth. He came to reverse the works of darkness, bring signs and wonders that would point to the king of kings and the kingdom of God. What are the marks of those three? Well, the followers listen and put into practice what they hear. They make mistakes, but they keep following. The hallmark is that they're following and doing. And I guess my question to us is, is that us? Are we listening to what Jesus says and doing what he tells us to do? If we are, we're followers. Are we listeners? Their hallmark is that they listen, they come close, they they, they kind of carefully pay attention to what Jesus is saying, but then filter out the bits they like and the bits they don't and go away again. They come so close. Maybe they've memorized Bible passages. Today they might post them on Facebook. They might have them on their fridge. They might do all sorts of things with the Word of God other than put it into practice. They like it. It appeals to them. It gives them comfort. But actually doing it is a different matter. And there's a danger for all of us that we can become listeners rather than followers. 
Third group have great stories of meeting Jesus. They can tell you what he did on a particular day in a particular moment. They can tell you what was going on in that moment. They can tell their story. They can speak about how amazing Jesus is and what he did for them. But actually, there's nothing more than that. There's nothing after the dramatic encounter with God. Is that us? Are we looking back to a day when God did something? And since that day, nothing has changed. In which case, we received something, but we've not moved on. Now, I've painted these three as three separate categories, but I think actually in, in our lives, most of us are a bit blurred. In some areas, we're following. In some, we've listened, but we haven't yet put it into practice. And in some, we've got an ancient testimony of what God did, but there's not been a lot since. And it's probably a bit of a mixture of those three, but really I want to encourage us and challenge us that following Jesus is the call. That's what Jesus wants us to do, as we've been hearing today. Time is short, and the call is to follow him. I'm, I'm confronted by the thought that it's possible to get so close to Jesus, to, to sit at his feet and listen to what he says, and enjoy listening, and even to be healed, and still walk away without putting it into practice. The second bit I want to see here is, is Jesus' call to faith and hope. And this is the, the really unusual bit in the middle of this passage where Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are... Now, now this comes after a verse I've just missed out on purpose, which says this, that the large crowd who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, it says... Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Don't you love it when the Bible includes little words like all? It doesn't leave any doubt, does it? It's not healing some. It's not picking out a few. This isn't a time when someone presses through a crowd and gets healed. The power is coming from Jesus, and every single person who needs healing is healed. All. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Is it a bit warm in here? Is everyone nodding off? Are you okay? Okay. All. He heals all at that moment. Every single person is healed. That's an incredible... Imagine being there. As, as hundreds, thousands are brought, fed 5,000 on one occasion, men plus women and children. There could be a huge crowd here, and all the sick are healed. That's amazing. I don't know of any place where that's happening today. Where some are healed, yes, where many may be, but all. That's an incredibly powerful word. And then Jesus goes on. From that context, and the Bible says this, it says he, so it says power came from him, was healing them all, full stop. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you when you are poor. Or who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you'll laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Well, hang on, Jesus, what are you doing? He's surrounded by people who are rejoicing in their healing, and with the celebration going on, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Blessed are you when you're, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed, hang on a minute. In the middle of healing, in the middle of celebration, he addresses poverty. He addresses hunger. He addresses basic human need and says, blessed are you, my disciples. 
it doesn't quite compute, does it? He's healing all, and he's telling them in the middle of that celebration, you're blessed in rough times. What should we expect if we decide to follow Jesus? Should we expect to be blessed, secure, untroubled, peaceful, healthy, permanently, everything going well for us all the time? Is that what we should expect? Does it reflect badly on us if, if things are going wrong? Does it reflect badly if we don't have enough money to pay the bills one week? If we if actually... We're weeping because something's happened. Does it reflect badly if we've fallen out with people, or they've fallen out with us, and we've, we're isolated on our own? Does it reflect badly on us being disciples if life doesn't look shiny and perfect? I think there's a myth that everything should go well all the time. I think there's a myth that we shouldn't struggle, that if we have, there's something wrong that we've sinned, a bit like the, the man who's born blind in John's Gospel who's brought to Jesus and, and the disciples or the people are saying, well, who's sinned, this man or his parents? Someone's got to have done because he's been born blind. And Jesus says, no, neither, actually. We're always looking for a culprit, for a cause. If we lack finance, we feel we must lack trust. If we go hungry, somehow again it's our luck, our lack. If we're excluded, it's our fault. And Jesus tackles it head on. And I want us to see, because I think this is really helpful, in the midst of a whole crowd of people getting everything they wanted instantly from Jesus, everything they wanted instantly, Jesus says, you're blessed, my disciples, when this isn't happening for you. You're blessed when you don't get everything you want straight away. Look at the context crowd of people getting everything they want straight away. Jesus says to his disciples, you're blessed when you don't get it. Blessed even when this isn't happening for you. When you're empty, you're blessed. When you weep, you're blessed. When you're hated, you're blessed. It's great now when you've got it, but when you haven't, you're still blessed. That's a profound lesson from Jesus as he stands with a crowd of people who just got healed. And we learn from that that outward peace and popularity and plenty are not markers of success. Now, now, many of us believe we have the right to peace, popularity, and plenty. People are looking for them. We all are. And if we don't have peace or popularity or plenty, we think there's something wrong with us, and we should have it. It's our human right, and so we strive to get more of this stuff, and the world's driven on it. And I'm not about to pull it all apart, because some of that is a good thing. God wants us to be at look for it in the wrong places. But those three things have become gods of our age. Peace, plenty, and popularity. And it's dangerous. And following Jesus is not a guarantee of instant health, wealth, and happiness. Some of those disciples, the twelve, gave up everything to follow Jesus. There's another verse in Luke 18, verse 28, where, where Peter says to Jesus, haven't we given up everything to follow you? Jesus has said to him, when you're poor, you're blessed. And Peter later on says, but we've given everything. This is not just metaphorical. This is not just, well, when you feel a bit down. This is, no, when when you're poor, when you have nothing. And Peter's saying, I've got nothing. And Jesus is saying, you're still blessed. The Matthew version of this sermon has poor in spirit. 
poor, not just physically, but poor in spirit. Those who've recognized that they've got a lack and they need God. Both are blessed. Secondly, we see in this that our circumstances don't determine our faith. But actually, our faith should speak to our circumstances. If you're poor, if you're hungry, if you're hated, it's actually not okay. It's not your destiny. Those things don't define you. Jesus isn't saying those things are good. He's saying God is still able to bless you and is still blessing you despite those things. He's not telling you to look for poverty or to look for suffering or to look for weeping or or to look for isolation. He's saying even in those situations, you are beyond that. You are blessed and my presence is with you. You're not defined by those things. They don't define your faith and determine it. Instead, your faith determines your response to those things. It's completely different. Our faith should speak to our circumstances. You know, sometimes when we as church families suffer together or one person suffering, we do a good thing and we comfort one another. And we come alongside, and I've seen it again and again where people are struggling and we give comfort. And comfort's a good starting point. Because comfort can help us realize that it's, the end isn't nigh, that actually there's a bit of hope that's there and make us feel a bit better that someone else is sharing with us. But, you know, there's something else even beyond comfort that we need at times, and it's courage. And the word encouragement means to give courage. You come along and encourage someone. You don't just encomfort them. To encomfort someone makes someone feel better, which is a made-up word, by the way, but it makes someone feel better. But to encourage someone means you come and you implant courage in somebody that takes them beyond their circumstances, takes them beyond just feeling a bit better and feeling at peace a bit more, and feeling less wretched and less isolated, but actually more than that, to step into speaking into their circumstances. I believe that's what God's calling us to, to speak into the times and things that we face. We see also, thirdly, that our hope is not in today. There's two groups that Jesus compares. Blessed are you who are poor, who who hunger now, who weep, when people hate you, etc., And then woe to you who are rich, who are well-fed, who laugh now when everyone speaks well of you. He's drawing a direct comparison between those two groups. And on the one side, we've got those who have nothing and to the point that their only hope is God. That's the point of what he's saying. And on the other side, we've got those who have enough that their hope isn't in God, it's in having enough. And that's the distinction that's here. There's a danger between... uh, Actually, not... There's a danger with riches that we trust in the riches, not in the God who supplies the riches. Jesus is never saying that poverty is good. He's just saying there's, there's, a, there's a problem if you start trusting in your riches. And, and the word he says is woe. It's an interesting word, woe. He's contrasting this word blessed versus woe. And blessed means kind of happy. It's a rejoicing word. Fortunate is another way of putting this, actually bizarrely. I wouldn't choose to use that word, but that's the, the, one of the translations of it. And woe is, it kind of sums up a sadness, a, a sense of disappointment or, or, yeah, just grief almost. It's, it's a kind of a, a reflection that, that things aren't going to go well if you're trusting in your riches, if you're trusting in being well-fed, if you're trusting in just laughing and being jolly. Our hope is not in today. We see in this passage that God is the God of today and tomorrow. He's the God who's got tomorrow in hand, and we're going to come to that in, in this verse. It says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's trusting God now. 
We've got faith now that God has given us the kingdom now. Bless you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Bless you who weep now, for you will laugh. He's looking to the future. Jesus is promising us that God is the God of today and he's the God of tomorrow. That we can have hope in God tomorrow. I wonder where our security is. It's ours in our bank balance. Is ours in the stock market? Is it in our pensions? Is it in our popularity? See, if it's in God, these words promise us that we'll be blessed. If it's in the things of today, Jesus promises us that they'll fall apart. And he says, woe. It's not a woe of judgment, but it's a woe of, oh, oh no. Pain and pity. And in between these two descriptions is a verse I really want to focus on as I wrap things up here. It's this passage here which tells us how we live as his disciples. How to live between blessing and woe. How to live between trusting in God with nothing and and surviving on our own with everything. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. What does does leaping for joy look like? Someone care to show us? Is that kind of a bit of a leap or is it? What what does it look like to leap for joy? Rejoice and leap for joy. Now Jesus has just been describing all those things. Blessed are you when you have nothing and so on. And then he says rejoice in that day. Wow. Wow. All the comments up to this point refer to a state that we're in. We have a particular circumstance or situation. God says you are blessed in that. This is the only verse in this little section with an instruction, with something to do. The others don't have instructions. This one does. And the instruction is this, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Choose rejoicing. There are many choices we can take in tough times when there's lack or there's hatred or where something's falling apart. There are many choices and many wise and good choices. But Jesus is adding another one. And he's saying, whatever else you're doing, rejoice. Rejoicing may not be the first choice that comes to mind when there's a problem. But Jesus says, doesn't matter. In that circumstance, still rejoice. Whatever's going on. Now, you don't rejoice because of the poverty, but you rejoice in the poverty. We don't rejoice because of the car's not working, but we rejoice in the fact in God in, on the day that the car's not working. Does that make sense? You, you rejoice in whatever's going on, and it's this choice that we're called to make to maintain a position of rejoicing. We rejoice in faith because of what God has given. Rejoice in that day. I like to interpret this in two different ways. That day, which is the day of persecution, so you rejoice in the day when life's tough because you've got the honor of trusting God in a tough time. That's okay, and God has already provided and he will provide. So we're rejoicing in faith in God's work currently. But I like to also press it to the future and push it to the future and talk about that day when Jesus is coming back and that day when we have hope in Christ fulfilled. And we can look to that day and rejoice in that day as well as in this day that God has got everything in hand. 
Rejoice in that day that's coming because not only is, is our reward in heaven great now, but we'll receive that in him when we see him face to face. And so we can rejoice in faith and in hope in this day and in that day. And we can rejoice more than we ever have before. Now, I'm not a leaper, if I'm honest. If there's ever an opportunity to dance, I, I watch from the sidelines. I, I'm not a dancer. I don't think people would be blessed by watching my dancing. I'm not going to try and perform any for you now. I go to some events where there's a bit of a party going on and there's those kind of formulaic dances, you know, the ones where there's certain actions, YMCA perhaps or whatever it is. And I can sort of, I can just about do that. But anything more complicated, I'm not a clue. And people have rehearsed all sorts of things, big fish, little fish, cardboard box, I don't know, anyway. There's, there's all sort of movements that people do and they're into this pattern. But, but the Bible passage here describes not just doing a formulaic dance at a party like everybody else is doing, but leaping for joy on a day when you're struggling. On a day when actually it's tough and you've been persecuted for the name of Christ, you rejoice in that day and you leap. Folks, I know it's a bit warm in here. Sorry for that. But we should be the happiest people on earth. We should be the happiest people alive. Because of what Jesus has done for us and the hope that we have and the ability to rejoice despite what's going on. I would love to rejoice more and I need to rejoice more and you do too. To leap for joy. Paul the Apostle says this, Rejoice always. I say it again. Rejoice. I wasn't quoting that bit, but he does say that as well. Rejoice always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Indeed, he carries on. And Albert sometimes texts me and writes, and, and sometimes the theme of that is his increasing love for his Savior. And he's mentioned it today, and it's been referenced today. But that's wonderful that we can become increasingly in love with and devoted to and rejoicing in our heavenly Savior, in Jesus. Rejoicing in him. And maybe some of us today have lost track with that love. It's time to regain it. So let's wrap up. Discipleship, as we see in this little passage, isn't marked out just by Jesus calling 12, giving them a job to do, and saying, that's for you, you're special. Actually, it's for each and every one of us. Discipleship is for the wider crowd. Not just those who come to get stuff from Jesus, not just those who come to listen, but those who come to put into practice what Jesus has told us to do. And that's our calling, to follow him. But we're not defined just by obedience. We're certainly not defined by peace, popularity, and plenty, but we're defined by rejoicing in him, in delighting in him, and Christians should be known, not as sour-faced religious people who make everybody else feel guilty wherever they go, and look down their noses at people with a slightly condescending, condescending attitude because we're slightly more superior and slightly more holy. But we should be demonstrating our holiness and demonstrating our delight in God by leaping. By leaping. Even when life is rubbish. We're not leaping because it's rubbish. We're leaping because we serve a Savior who loves us in the mess. And he delights in us when it's all gone pear-shaped from our perspective. It's possible to hear and not follow. It's possible to receive and not follow. It's possible to follow and lose track of why we're doing it. 
Nikki. Nikki Bradley, where are you? You were here. At the, come and read that verse to us. Can I just have a mic? And Nikki's going to close us out, at least from my bit today. Uh, yes, it's Second Chronicles sixteen nine says, "For the eyes of the Lord ring throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him." Okay. And yeah, so basically, Hungarian, ver- Hungarian version is slightly different because it says instead of strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him, it says to show His power through those people and towards those people whose heart is fully committed to to him. Show his power. I should probably use this one, can't I? To show his power. So I wonder if, I know that actually, God's call for some of us today is to speak prophetically to our circumstances with a declaration of who God is in those. Not to be defined by them. For others, the call is to begin following again. For some of us, the call is to leap and rejoice in our God. He's looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's searching out those who will rejoice that we might declare his praises to a needy world. Amen.